Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Go ahead and find a seat. We're glad you're here this morning. You can turn to 2 Peter. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning as we uh, look into God's Word. We've been there the last several weeks. Um, we'll actually be in 2 Peter for the next two weeks uh, and then uh, start, uh, probably do one week and then start our series through the book of Deuteronomy. And so if you haven't been reading the book of Deuteronomy, we encourage you to do so um, and to get familiarized with the book as we go through it this summer uh, together. Um, one of the things about 2 Peter that I was studying this week that I thought about, um, some of you may know this if you've been around church or you've been in church. Some of the rest of you may not know this if you haven't been in church, but Peter was a, a fisherman. He was raised uh, to know how to fish. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know how you were raised, what the occup normal occupation in your home or your household was. Um, if you were raised in a professional home or you were raised in a construction home or you were raised in a teaching home or whatever it was, ministry home. Um, but Peter was raised in a fishing home. He was raised in Galilee. And I thought about this as I was reading commentaries this week, because as Peter's trying to teach us through the book of 2 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, as he's trying to teach us through this book, um, you have to kind of remember that fishermen didn't raise fish back then, right? Like most fishermen, you don't raise the fish. You just go out and catch them. You, you, you figure out where they're supposed to be. You throw your nets in. You grab them. You pull them out. You bring them. You sell them to the market. You go out the next day. You do the same thing. You mend your nets. And so you're, you're just going out and catching fish. And when Jesus was crucified, right before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I, I don't know him. Jesus told him that would happen. And then at the end of that, we find in John chapter 21, where Peter then is fishing again. Jesus told him to stop fishing. He said, it's time to make a change. It's time to stop being who you were and to become who I've created you to be. And Jesus appears after his resurrection. He's on the shore and he's making fish. He's, he's got a fire going. He's making fish. And the disciples see him. And Peter jumps out of the boat, doesn't walk on water, jumps out of the boat and swims. And it's funny because in the story it says that basically the boat got to the, same, got to the shore at the same time as Peter, right? So you can like hear the, the other disciples laughing. Like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, you're good job, you know. You triathlon, buddy. We'll be there too. Like, and so Peter dives out, he, he goes up, and three times Jesus asks him this question, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and three times Peter has the same response, of course I do, which is the same response we give, right? Do, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus loves me, this I know. Like We, we just respond, yes, I love you. Jesus asked him three times because it was three times that he denied him. And at the third time, Peter figures this out. And here's what he told him. All three times, Peter says, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. What was Peter just doing? Fishing. Peter doesn't know how to be a shepherd. He's a fisherman. Being a shepherd actually is really hard work. It's different than fishing. See, being a shepherd, you have to raise the sheep. You don't just go out and catch them and grab nets and throw them in your boat and sell them in the market. You actually have to plan to raise them, to breed them, to protect them. Peter doesn't protect fish. He just goes out and finds them. You don't protect them. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, the test of whether you really love me is going to be simple. You're going to have to leave everything and feed sheep. And do you guys realize, as I was reading in the commentary this week, and I was studying, I thought to myself, wait a minute. Peter went from catching fish to raising sheep, and in the Jewish culture, fish weren't things you used for worship. But in the Jewish culture, sheep meant everything. It meant clothing. And when you raised sheep, you knew you were raising them for one purpose. And one purpose only. That was to be slaughtered. That's why sheep were raised. They're raised to be slaughtered and to be food for others. Fish, you don't raise them. You just catch them, sell them, and then take the profits. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I know you say you love me, but will you stop fishing? Because every time you get in trouble, you go back to fishing. Every time you jump back in the water, every time you go back to the boat. And I'm asking you if you'll just... Stop focusing on what you know 
Stop focusing on who you are and who you want to be and focus on who I want to make you to be, a shepherd. I mean, can you imagine how difficult that had been for, for Peter? I mean, to leave everything, to start over, to, to not go back to the boats? Like, he sold his boat, so he must have had to buy one. Like it said, when he followed Jesus, they got rid of everything, and now he's got them back again. So he, he may have to go to effort to get back to fishing. And so here we find Peter writing this letter to us, and he wants us to know the knowledge of what it means to truly obey and serve our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. This is a guy who had to get the knowledge. This isn't a guy that like it miraculously came to. This was a guy that denied Christ three times, and Jesus looks at him and says, and you're going to have to feed my sheep. That's going to be the test. Not how you take care of yourself, but how you take care of others. Will you lay down your life? And, and he looks at him, and, and he says these things. And so this morning, what I want us to look at, which comes from the passage, is what sort of person? What sort of person? What sort of person are you? Oh, sorry, my bad. What sort of person are you? What sort of person am I? I'll wait. See, that's a hard question. To sit awkwardly and have to deal with that is kind of painful. Isn't it? When I think about what kind of person I am, there are times I go, oh, I'm awful. There's nothing good in me. And if I don't, here's the key. If I don't have a knowledge about Jesus and I don't have a Bible open, that's where I'll stay. I'll either stay as a miserable person or I'll stay as a prideful jerk. One of the two. And until I have God's word in front of me and I open it and I begin to see what he says about me, I'll live in that mess. And so what kind of person are we? Peter, he says, I'm a person who loves you. Jesus says, really? Then feed my sheep. You're fishing again. This is what Peter tells us in the first chapter. He says, I'm Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours, to the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying it's not through your righteousness. It's not about you being right. You can't do it on your own. It's got to be that you give up. You have to become a slave and allow God to make you right. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied through you through the knowledge of our God and, our, and Jesus our Lord. In other words, we need grace and peace. We long for it. We looked at that in the first message. He said, his divine power has been given to us, given us everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by these he has given us very great and precious promises. And I've read this every week that we've gone through Peter. But here's the deal. We, I, look at this passage and I think, no, you haven't given us enough. We looked at that the first week. We don't strive to want to know what God wants. We kind of settle at a spot, right? We don't wait to hear from God. We just get something and go with it. And here, Peter's saying, look, I'm writing this letter to you because if you don't get a different kind of knowledge, you're not going to be able to serve God. Just like Peter had to get a different kind of knowledge to be able to do what Jesus asked him to do with his life. And he says, he's called you not for your own good necessarily, but for his own glory and goodness. Now, it'll be for your own good, but it may not feel that way. And that's what he lays out. So as we come to the end of this chapter, we have to realize that what Peter is saying is my mission now is to help other believers walk in waiting in the right frame of mind. We, we are people who have to wait with the right frame of mind. Can I just tell you, we're, we're people in waiting. I'm a person in waiting. Christ is going to come back and he tells us to wait. I, I don't get to like make him come back. You know, you say, well, God will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, great. Pray that Jesus will come back tomorrow and see if he does it for you. <laughs> he might, probably not. <laughs> He's going to come back when he comes back, when he chooses to. Now, can you pray, Lord, I, I want you to come back and know that that's an answered prayer? Absolutely, because he's going to do it. But see, we don't want to wait. We, don't, we want our timing when we want it. And so as Peter wraps up in chapter 3, here's what he says. Dear friends, so he calls these people, these believers he's writing to, he's been warning them about false teachers for the last chapter. Basically, the last first half, he's saying, there are people who are going to try to deceive you. He said, dear friends, 
This is now the second letter I've written to you. There's a 1 Peter and a 2 Peter in the Bible. In both letters, I want to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder. In other words, I want you to genuinely understand what's true about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I want you to have a reminder. I want you to be reminded always that this is what life is about. And he says, so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. I mean, Peter says, look, one letter wasn't enough for you, <laughs> right? Says the guy that three times he needed to be reminded by Jesus. So he's writing another letter. A genuine understanding of what? A reminder of what? We remember what was spoken. He says, look, I'm trying to get you to remember what was spoken through the long history of God's people, through his word, through the prophets, through the apostles. I'm trying to get you to go to his word and understand it fully, not just to settle, stop waiting and jump in and say, well, now I'm going to do it this way. He's saying, you've got to go all the way. I'm trying to get you to understand how this all fits together. And he says, the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. I love when he says the command. Like, Jesus didn't just give one command. You know that, right? Like, he gave multiple commands. He gave Peter a command. He said, feed my sheep three times, right? I mean, Jesus gave commands. Jesus never disobeyed any of the Old Testament commands. He lived everyone out faithfully. And see, it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, now that Jesus has given a command, all the other ones are pointless. No, we're not to ignore God's commands. We're to love them. We're to love his commands. We're to, to embrace his commands as good for us. Does that make sense? And see, that's my struggle. I'm always trying to figure out a way around them, right? Instead of saying, how is this good and does he want me to do it? That's the question we're supposed to ask. There are some commands in Scripture we don't have to do anymore. We don't have to sacrifice sheep anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He told us, you don't need to sacrifice sheep anymore. You just need to trust me and my sacrifice. Not to mention, that's much harder than just sacrificing a sheep. <laughs> it's a lot harder to trust my sacrifice and believe my word and my promises than it is to just go grab a sheep and bring it to me and sacrifice it. There are certain commands in Scripture, but here's the principle that you can't deny. Something has to die for your sin. So see, the sacrificial sheep, the sacrificial lamb, is a good command. It's a beautiful command. And when we read about it, we should celebrate, wow, how cool is that, that God provided a sacrifice when I deserved it. And it should humble us. So we should have the same heart response to God's law and it should humble us and change our hearts just as much now as it did then. But what we want to do is just ignore it and say, well, I'm glad I don't have to understand all that stuff. I don't have to have a genuine understanding. I don't have to be reminded of all that stuff. It's like, no, there's beautiful things. When we go through the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to see these commands and there are some of them you're going to shake your head at and go, I'm, what are, we don't do that. What do we, my, and you're, I don't know what this is. And you're, yeah. And God put it in there because it was good for us. It was good for his people. And we want to tell God what is good for me. So we don't ignore God's commands. We listen to them carefully. And then he goes, I mean, look at what Jesus said. This is the one that everybody goes to. Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. Again, Peter was asked, do you love me? What sort of person do you want to be, Peter? If you love me, if you say you want to be a person who loves me, you're going to have to feed my sheep. I'll wait. He goes on, he says, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Again, the scribes had come, scribes and Sadducees had come to trick Jesus. They were trying to ask him a, quick, a trick question to get him to say that there were, there's a law that's more important than another law, right? And then they could say, oh, see, you don't believe God is over all the laws. You, you, you pick and choose the ones you, you think are most important. Because that's what they did, Right? And so they were trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Heart, soul, and mind. That's everything. Everything you've got. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. He says everything depends on these two things. Every single command you read about. And then it says, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? I love it that Jesus has just embarrassed the scribes, and the, the, uh, the scribes and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees see the opportunity to say, oh, he embarrassed them. Now we're, 
and he, they, they're laughing, and he turns and asks them, are you ready for this? An identity question. He asks them an identity question. What sort of person do you think the Messiah will be? Whose son do you think he is? Because, see, they couldn't answer that necessarily. They argued over it. And here they are, and he looks, and he says, look, you, you've got to understand that it's a simple command of love God and love people. See, that's how the commands of the Ten Commandments are divided. The first four are about loving God, and the next six are about loving people. They're all about loving God, but it's about how God wants us to do things. And I love the fact that he says, look, you can't separate the two. And can I just be honest? We live in a culture that loves to separate, just like Peter did. I love to say that I love Jesus and then have hatred in your brother, towards your brother in your heart. That's 1 John. Like, like we love to separate the commands. We love to hold people to certain commands, but not other ones. We love to, to come up with a certain plan or a program and say, well, these are the bigger sins and these are the lesser ones. Are there sins with bigger consequences? Absolutely, and there should be sins with bigger consequences. God said that in his law. There were sins that required execution. You, were, you, get, you got executed for sins, and there were sins that you could sacrifice a lamb and be forgiven for. There were, there, there were different sins in terms of consequences. But sin is sin. You're in trouble either way if God doesn't come through and provide a way of escape. So Jesus says, look, it's not hard, but we want to make it so complicated. This is what he says, then Peter goes on after he says these things, and he says, hey, I, I've written you this letter that I want you to remember. He says, first, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desire. They're going to scoff because they have a plan. They have a desire, and they're going to scoff at you when you tell them something different. I don't believe that. You can show them in the word. You can take them to it. I don't believe that. They're going to look, as Peter says in another passage, and so does Paul, they're going to go out and try to find teachers that will support what they believe. And we can be just as, I can be just as guilty of that as anybody else if I'm not careful. I can just get one theological persuasion and just read guys and read that and stick in that and never think or allow myself to be challenged in any other way. And Peter says, be aware of this. Scoffers will come. He doesn't say they might come. He doesn't say if, if you do bad things, if you don't keep your stuff together. He says, no, they're going to come. You better be ready for it. And see, Peter's command is to listen to people. Peter's command in the verse before this was you better listen to people. Which people? The prophets? Moses? David? The apostles who wrote scripture? And then he immediately says, but there are other people that you better be careful at what you listen to and you'll see what kind of person they are. And he reminded of that in chapter 2. He lays out some of the things that you'll be reminded of. The biblical account came from God's ordained spokesmen and leaders. The other is from impatient believers. If you want to find a false teaching, you can almost always trace it back to someone got impatient. <laughs> almost every time. They couldn't wait. And so I'm going to come up with this teaching because we don't have to wait. We have the prosperity gospel in America. It is the, the, the gospel that says God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have what you want to have. And, and, and you can have it now. Where does that come from? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can have it now. All the false, the false teachings I get can easily get sucked into, very easily get sucked in. Or you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait it out. You don't have to suffer. God wants you to be happy. And, and, and as soon as we do that, we turn, and all of a sudden we're living for ourselves. We're not living for God. We're living for our own desires, not the kind of person God wants us to be. And let's be honest. Our desires are exposed in our daily decisions. Right? You can sit down with a calendar and sit down with your money and you can find out really quickly what you desire. It's not really rocket science. It's just not. What did you spend time doing today? Because you desired to spend time doing it. <laughs> oh, you didn't read your Bible at all. You didn't, you didn't even pray. You didn't even think about God today. Okay, well, you don't desire him. 
That's a pretty, I mean, that's just like thing 101. Like, it's not hard. It's not like I'm trying to pick on you. It's just that's the truth. At the end of the day, you're right. I didn't, got, I didn't desire God at all today. <laughs> or, or, or what did you do today that you decided to do and it cost other people around you? Well, you desired that more than the people around you. That, that's what you did. That's exactly it. And how do we know if a desire is really ours or God's? How do we know if we just had some bad pizza and we're having lunatic thoughts and food poisoning or if it's God trying to speak to us? Well, Peter goes on, he answers that. So did David in the Psalms. David says, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked. That's the Hebrew word for scoffer. Or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead... Or I'm sorry, mockers is the, the, the word for scoffer. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Happy and blessed. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. You ask anybody, do you want to be happy? You'll, I, I've not ever had someone look at me, and maybe there will be someday. I've never had someone look at me and go, no, I don't want to be happy. I want to be miserable. That's what I'm trying to do today. Just be miserable and make everyone else miserable in my life. Thank you very much. They don't, you don't answer. Yes, I want to be happy. Then why are you miserable? Because I'm not happy. Well, you see this? You're on a cycle. Like, you've got to jump off. You've got you to get off happy and figure out what it means to really, and here's what he says. Who does not follow the advice, the path, and then response. I've said this before. We've used this illustration, but there are beliefs, decisions, and outcomes. Beliefs, decisions, and outcomes. The way most churches and the way most religions do things is we, we preach to decisions, right? We go after decisions, which isn't wrong to say, well, you decided to do this, now here are the consequences, right? But the reality is there are certain outcomes that I think I should have. There are certain outcomes that when I look around, I want. And what I do is I say, okay, God, here are the outcomes I want. And I begin to say, how do I make decisions to get what I want? I never, I rarely, we rarely, unless someone confronts us, go all the way back to what we believe. And ask, is there an understanding, something I, I think I know that, that I don't really understand, that's broken, that I'm working out of a false understanding, a false narrative that's driving my decisions because I want a certain outcome. It's not hard. It's like, and so we always go back and then we go, well, I tried that. It didn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. It's like, well, wait a minute. Let's go back to what you're believing. What is broken in your belief system? Because here's the deal. Peter's belief system was broken. He's off fishing when Jesus had told him already, you need to shepherd people. And he looks at him and says, did, did we not discuss this? Like, I came back to life, and, like, you're supposed to be feeding, raising sheep, feeding sheep, pork. like, no, I just want to go out and grab fish. I just want it to be easy. I want, I want the outcome of fish in my boat. Jesus is like, well, you don't get that anymore. I did that for you a couple of times. Now you're going to go, and you're going to raise sheep. And you know what? You don't get to go steal sheep. You don't get to go to somebody else's pasture and be like, give me your sheep, thanks, and walk. No, you have to, like, actually either buy them or breed them, which takes a while. You don't just get a flock all of a sudden because they just all popped out. It's not like fishing. It's completely different. you got to have a plan, and they only breed certain times of the year, and then how, which ones do you sell and keep, and how do we survive and eat and still have some left over? I mean, there's all these decisions in shepherding that Peter would have been like, how do I follow this path? He was going to have to have some different beliefs. And you know what's beautiful about this? David, when he starts the Psalms, the first song, which is a psalm, he says, happy is the man, blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. And that's exactly what Peter's getting at. He says, first be aware of this. Scoffers will come. And here's where he says, saying, where is the promise of his coming. Where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they've been since the beginning of creation. Are you ready for this? Jesus, Peter says, look, 
you're going to be able to recognize a scoffer because they're going to want to deny the judgment of Jesus Christ. Jesus has no right to judge them. He's not going to come back and return and bring fire and judgment, which we're going to read in a second. He's going to come back and he's going to be like our best bud and give us a high five and welcome in and good to see you. And that's the way it's going to be. He's just our best buddy. Does he want to be our friend? Absolutely. God says that, that he wants us to have a relationship with him that's personal. But what these scoffers are doing is they're taking that teaching and they're saying that means you're not going to be judged so you can do whatever you want in your earthly body and God won't judge you. You're forgiven. You just don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And he says that's the sure sign is they're going to live according to their own desires and then they're going to tell you you can have what you want too. Just do it like I did it. Never questioning is that really how God wants it done. And then he says, ever since the fathers, that means all the fathers, that means your father who was a believer and his grandfather, all the way back to Abraham and Adam. He says, ever since they've fallen asleep, they just continue. And this is the lie they tell. They say, it just continues on and on. I mean, if Jesus were really going to come back and there were judgment, then he would have done it by now. And it's not going to be that bad. And if he does come back, it's no big deal. We don't need to be like so heavenly minded. We're of no earthly good. And this is exactly what he says will be the mantra. He says, creation just keeps going and going. God doesn't intervene. He's not going to step in. He's, he's, he, if he really wanted to do something, God's off in a distance. He's just off there, kind of lets us do our thing. And then someday, he's just going to come back and make things better. Can I tell you, that's what is taught a lot today. It's not the idea that when Christ comes back, he's going to judge. Do you know who gets judged first when Christ comes back according to Revelation? Who? The churches, seven of them. God says, my judgment will begin in my house first before I go judge anybody in the world. My kids will get spanked before I'm spanking other kids. My kids will be disciplined before I go tell other kids what they should be doing. And he judges the seven churches, and only one of them has a good report out of the seven. Only one is like, he's like, hey, yeah, you guys are doing all right. Endure, because you're being slaughtered and murdered. The other six, he's like, you're not doing well. <laughs> he goes to his people, yet when we look at it, we're like, man, I'm just so glad I'm not going to be judged like all those wicked people someday. I'm so glad I got Jesus. He's, he's going to give me a pass. I, do we have grace? Absolutely we have grace. We, we are forgiven. But that forgiveness should cause us to do what Peter says in just a moment. He says they willfully ignore this. These scoffers, these false teachers, they're going to tell you to have, this is how you fix your life. And it's never going to be, this is how to do life and it may not get better. I know Dave's here from heaven to vey and Saul to Paul. If you listen to them and their ministry, when they go there and teach these guys, they will often tell you, I, I can't tell you it's going to get better. I can tell you it's worth it. I can tell you it's worth laying down your life and surrendering, and it might, it's going to cause you to be a changed person, but I don't know if you're going to have your wife back, your car back. I don't know. I, I don't know. If, it may get a lot worse. Maybe someday, but we can trust in this. Are you ready? It's going to be awesome one day when Christ comes back, burns all this, and starts over. We have full confidence in that. And so will we place our faith, Peter says, in that? Because he says, long ago the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. By a word, God sent the floods of Noah. Through these waters, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of un." Godly men. I mean, I'm amazed at how many Christians are afraid to tell someone they're going to hell. I mean, there's like a panic now when you try to share your, well, I don't want to, I don't want to make them feel judged. I, I just want them to know the truth. I'm not trying to make them feel judged. I just want them to know that there's a, there's a judgment coming. And if you don't know, I'm scared for you. I'm panicked for you. Because it, it's, it, everything's going to burn. Even your body's going to be nothing, he says. 
And the only two things that are going to last are souls and his word. You see, they affirmed God's existence. In other words, these scoffers didn't say there wasn't a God. They justified their immorality by denying that his son would return in judgment. To just say, well, the world just keeps going and God loves us and he just keeps helping us. And they knew the truth, but they deliberately suppressed it like Romans 1 says. And they couldn't deny it. And the first thing they ignored is that the world is God's and he can intervene at any time. Does he have systems that are in place? Absolutely, but God can jump into a system and blow it up. Just like he did with Noah. And before Noah's day, there was a system of how things worked. And when God opened the floodwaters of heaven and dumped down the rains, the entire earth changed. We know this scientifically. There was a time when the entire earth was a tropical climate. Doesn't matter if you go to Antarctica, doesn't matter where you go, scientists know that at one time the entire earth was a superheated tropical climate. And when God opened the floodgates of heaven and dumped the water, the seasons changed. Noah walked into a different world than he had ever been in before. Because God intervened and changed it all. And he's going to do that again one day, just by his word. So Peter goes on, he says, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. He says this one thing, he goes, don't let this escape you. Because if it escapes you, you'll stop waiting, you'll stop trusting, and you're going to end up going with the scoffers. Don't, don't miss this. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay. Do you believe that? Like Peter, <clears throat> yeah, I love you. Okay, uh, feed my sheep, stop fishing. <laughs> Do you believe that the Lord doesn't delay? Because I think most of us in our life believe that God is constantly not on our time schedule. <laughs> he is delaying. God, why won't you do this or get this or change this or make this? He's not delaying. He's trying, and it says, his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. The reason God hasn't come back to judge is because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance, it says. The only reason God hasn't judged you and taken you out for your sin, even in Christ, because you have grace, the only reason he hasn't done away with you is because he still is asking you to repent. As a believer, he's still saying, will you repent? I'm giving you more time. I'm giving you another breath. I'm giving you another minute. I'm giving you another day. Will you repent? Repent just simply means a change of mind and a change of action. That's all it is. It's beliefs, decisions, outcomes. I'm going to change. I'm going to have different beliefs. I'm going to do different decisions so I can have the outcomes, the promises that we read earlier that God tells me are true and sure. And so he says, point blank, he says he's patient with you. But see, what we want to do is we want to use that patience as an excuse, and when you go down that road and you read the rest of Scripture, that is a scary place to be because any time God's people used his patience as an excuse, typically he sent governments to judge his people. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, Rome. You won't listen to me? Fine. I'll send the authorities. I mean, we see this today. We talk about it in our staff meeting quite often about how many churches are already so in violation of tax law that if the federal government wanted to come in and shut down almost every church they could. Do you realize that by law you're not allowed to designate a gift to a church or a nonprofit organization and receive a taxable benefit for it? By law. You can give to the organization, but the organization cannot say it will be designated for a specific something unless they tell you now your gift you can't write off on taxes because you designated it. The organization has to make it known that we can use this money however we want. Now we're going to try to give it to this, but it's our money to do what we want with if you want a tax-deductible donation. 
And if you haven't done that, you are a church in violation of every gift you've ever received and every designated fund you have. And the government can shut you down. They just choose not to. Why? Will you repent? (laughs) Well, I think that's a stupid law. You can think it's a stupid law. It's still there. You can fight to change it and ask your congressman to change it. It's still there. I love that he says, look, I'm not trying to be mean. The judgment isn't there to try to make you feel bad. The judgment's there so that we feel it enough to repent, to say, I want to believe something different. I want to get under some different teachers. I want to get under a different way of doing things. But you and I, we say we've waited long enough. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not being who I want to be. I've waited long enough. I'm going to get what I want. You see, I want you to embrace how patient God is with us But what's interesting is, is we'll say how patient God needs to be with us, but we won't be patient to others. The flip side's also true. We'll say that God has no right to judge anyone else because I feel so judged. That's not true either. See, God, in this passage, is laying out clearly. Peter is laying out clearly. Friends, don't Don't miss this. For 2,000 years, we're sitting here going, Jesus, I mean, he should have come back in like World War I. That was a really bad time. Way worse than now. Jesus should have come back in World War II because that was really, really bad. I mean, his own people were being like slaughtered by the millions. Didn't come back. And it's easy to think, well, we're going to make the world a better place. And if we just keep working hard to make the world a better place, then Jesus won't come back. We can keep our life and we can keep our stuff and we just got to make the world a better place. All the while, Jesus is like, I want you to bring my kingdom to earth. I want you to be my representatives, but know that if you do that well, it's probably not going to work well for you and it's probably going to go badly based on the people around you. See, I just think what's happened is we've stopped preaching judgment, which is why the church is kind of like today. You want your relationships to change? Start preaching this and see how it changes. Start looking at your friends that are lost and tell them, I'm really concerned for you because there's a judgment coming and it could come at any minute like a thief. And if you're not ready, you're going to spend eternity apart from God in torment and I'm worried for you. See how many friendships you have and how many neighbors come over to eat after that. Doesn't matter how lovingly you share it. Love God, love people. Look, I love God so much, I'm willing to love you by telling you this. I'm concerned for your soul. I'm concerned that you're not repenting. I don't know what's going on. And if this doesn't change, there's gonna have to be action taken and it's not gonna be good for you. And when you tell people that, just like Evan Nevaeh and Saul to Paul, it's amazing to watch the guys run from the ministry. They can't stay more than two weeks, can't stay more than two months because it's like you don't have any right to judge me and, and, and you don't have the right to stay here. <laughs> I don't have to keep feeding you and serving you. You can leave. You have the choice. You have the freedom to leave. And I love that Peter's laying this out because he loves these people. He calls them friends. Then he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works will be disclosed. The day of the Lord will come. See, when God destroyed the world with water, he purified it, he washed it, he cleansed it. There's going to come a day when he purifies with fire, when all the elements are going to melt. That's the whole periodic table. (laughs) And he's going to start over with new stuff. I don't know what that looks like. I I don't know what he's, I, I can't tell you that. But that's what he says, and you're not going to avoid it. Your body, your children, your home, your stuff is not going to get past this test. It's going to be dissolved. It's going to be, what in the world do you love so much that you're not willing to let it burn? What in the world do you cling so tightly to that you're not willing to just, God, it's yours? Because Jesus said, you don't lose your life, you can't find it. And he's looking and he says, man, 
I'm telling you this because the false teachers, they're devoted to the world. They exploit the doctrine of grace. That's in Jude. They, they have, they, they'd exploit the doctrine of spiritual freedom. Paul, Peter talks about that in 2.19. They justify their indulgencies. He says that in 2.2 and 2.14. They're greedy, 2.14 through 16. They love human praise, Luke 2, 10 and 18. What do you love so much that you just, you would say, I can't believe God would do that to this. Because our world, this is where we're headed. And it doesn't mean we don't have hope. It means we have incredible hope. Because he says, since all these things are to be, look at this. Since all these things are going to happen this way, your body, your stuff, your ch- everything's going to be, he could, look, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. Is it? Is it really clear to me what kind of person I should be? Because you'll talk to people and they'll tell you all the time, I, I just don't know what to do. And you'll give a clarity. Like you'll open the word, walk them through it, you'll talk to them about it. This is what you should do. It, this is why you should do it. Here's the clarity. And they'll go out and do the opposite. You're like, I, I gave you complete clarity. I don't know what else to do because this is the kind of person I want you to be. This is... These are the beliefs God says. Here are the decisions that can be made because the outcome could be this. And, and even if the outcome isn't that, we have the outcome of the precious promises of God that heaven awaits us and you're storing up earthly treasures. So you can trust your outcomes to God if you have the right beliefs and decisions. You can know the outcome is certain, Peter says. And he says it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. I am always amazed at how quickly we Tell God, I'm not sure what to do. I'm always amazed when I talk to college students, and I've said this before, that they'll ask me things like, man, I just, I just really want to know what God's will is for my life. No, you don't. You just want to know what occupation you're supposed to do that will give you comfort and make you some money so that you can have a nice house and a nice wife and nice stuff. That you won't be embarrassed because you failed. If you really want God's will to be done, read the scriptures and see what it says about sanctification. See what it says about sharing your faith. See what it says about finances. See what it says and order your life that way. And do his will and then you'll be in the center of his will and whatever he wants you to do, he'll empower you to do it. He'll give you the gifts and abilities to do it. But we don't like that. See, I want to know a will. God, I want to know your outcome. You ready for this? I want to know your outcome so that, and the outcome I want, so that I can figure out what beliefs I need to have and what decisions I can have to get what I want. Versus saying, God, you've already told me what the outcome is. It's certain. I don't need to worry about it. It's off the table. I'm going to spend eternity with you if I know Jesus Christ. I know you want to, to make me into a godly person. You give me the power of the Holy Spirit. I know all those things. So you tell me what beliefs I need to have and what decisions I need to make to line up with that. See, that's what he says is clear. And look at this. He says, as you wait, as you wait and earnestly desire for the coming day of the Lord. How do you wait? How do you wait in your life? How do you desire the coming day of the Lord? Of the Lord. Do you desire it? I think most people don't. I think most people would have been really disappointed had Jesus come back when they were sitting in the movie theater waiting for Endgame to come on. Just saying. I think if they bought their ticket, they got their tub of popcorn, they got their drink, they're sitting in the movie chair, they slap it down, and they're ready, and all of a sudden, boom, and Jesus comes back, you're like, Oh, really? Like, I've been watching 20 movies to get to the last Just wait three hours. I want to see what happens. Does Iron Man die? I don't know. You laugh at that, but that's the way we are. God, don't come back yet. I've got to raise my kids. Don't, don't come back yet. I've got a plan. Don't come back yet. Instead of saying, Lord, I want you to come back and I want to be ready, so how do I get on your plan? How do I do things differently? All I got's yours. Tell me how to order it. Tell me how to put it in order so that I'm ready, so that when the, everything's dissolved, there's something left over that's worth keeping for you. 
Because everything that is going to be dissolved, he says, the heavens will be on fire and dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with heat. This is a scary passage. It's easy in this moment to get real discouraged and think to yourself, I I don't measure up. I'm not the sort of person I should be. What sort of person am I? I? I don't have holy conduct and godliness at times, and I don't wait. And he says, look at this, but based on his promise, we wait. See, we want promises from people. That if I do this, it's going to turn out the way I want. And what God does is he gives us all of the certainty of what's going to happen. He tells us it's all going to melt, it's all going to be gone, and then he tells us how to live in light of that and asks us to do it and says you're just going to have to wait for the new heaven and the new earth. You're not going to be able to create a great place here where righteousness would dwell. Righteousness doesn't dwell here. People don't do what's right. You don't do what's right. I don't do what's right. We need grace. We need the sacrifice of our Savior. We need it desperately. I need the gospel more today than I did 20 years ago. And I'm going to need it just as much tomorrow. But do I need it because I'm looking at him and saying, I'm just going to do whatever I want? Or do I need it because I'm saying, I just want to be close to you. I want to get ready so when the new heavens and the new earth comes, I'm ready to go. And he says, look at this, therefore, he says it again, dear friends. <laughs> Can you imagine talking to your neighbor saying, dear friend, I need to talk to you about something. Hell's coming, fire's coming, world's going to burn. <laughs> you need to be ready, dear friend. <laughs> My guess is they're not going to look at you and go, oh, thank you so much. They're not going to feel like you're being a dear friend by warning them. But that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's saying, I'm writing a second letter because I didn't get this, and now I do. He's looking, he's saying, make every, he said, while you wait, while you wait for these things, you can't make them happen, you can't get them, while you wait, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Do you make every effort to be found at peace in your relationship with Jesus, the God of the universe? Then when you approach him, because you've already dealt with your heart issues and you've served and you've laid down your life, when you approach him, there's a little bit of fear, but there's that moment of him saying, it's okay. You've done what I've asked you to do. You see, we need to make every effort. We have a part in this. We have choices that we have to make. Are you making every effort? Are you willing to let him point out the spots and blemishes so that he can clean them up and give you the power to be different? You see, the scoffers, they... They're going to promote, you can have what you want. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put all that effort in. God loves you. It'll happen naturally, right? Do you realize that we have the Bible because God is telling us it won't happen naturally? That's why we have the scriptures. (laughs) It's to tell us your natural inclination is not for these things to happen, so I have to give you a book translated in multiple languages kept accurate by, because you need it so desperately, because your natural inclination will not lead you to a relationship with me. You will not naturally get better. You're going to have to supernaturally get better. And this is my supernatural word I'm giving to you so that it will transform you. And when we know it and we make every effort to be found at peace in it, man, does it transform things. And he says, as we wait, as we wait. So what do we do as we wait? Have you ever seen how people wait today? What kind of people people are today? What sort of people people are and how they wait? I do. It's fun. If you're ever someplace, and we've done this before, being at the poorhouse, because Jason kind of helps them with their internet and service provider stuff, If you really want to see people freak out, shut Wi-Fi off. 
They panic. They panic. They don't know what to do with themselves. It's like, I don't know who I am now. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Who are you? Oh, I don't want to talk to you. I just look at a screen that doesn't work. We, are, we have so become consumed with while we're waiting to keep ourselves entertained that we don't know how to wait anymore. We can't be bored. We can't just sit and like wait and be like, hi, God. Hi. Just me. Just going to sit, rest in you. You're good. Try that sometime. Go to a coffee shop. Don't even buy a cup. Buy a cup of coffee and sit there and put it on the counter and just smile in the air. And see what people think. Don't get on your phone. Don't pull it out. And when they ask you, what are you doing? Say, I'm just waiting. <laughs> really? What are you waiting? Jesus is going to come back. <laughs> I'm just excited about it. I'm just sitting here waiting. I'm just celebrating him, praying, smiling. They'll be like, they'll go tell their friends. Like, that guy's nuts. Don't sit by him. He might have a gun. Like, they're, like they're going to... Because we don't know how to do this. We try all we can to distract ourselves from this truth. We, we do everything we can to distract ourselves for our desperate need for him. That I want to distract myself in every way so that, and, and run wherever I can so I don't just have to just recognize i got to wait in him. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or what someone else does to me. It's got to be about him. And so how do we wait? Peter wasn't waiting well. He was fishing. Jesus said, Peter, if you want to wait for me well, I need you to raise sheep. I need you to get busy raising sheep. Feed people. Raise people. That's what you're going to be doing now if you truly love me. Not just go sit on a rock and be like, I just can't wait for him to come back. No, that's not what I asked you to do. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. We just celebrated this past week, Passover, the beginning of first fruits and, and Easter. And this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 18, Paul says this. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. None of us get out alive. Everybody's going to perish. But they've fallen asleep in Christ, not in their sin. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Can I just tell you that most of the teaching that you go grab off the Christian bookshelf is all about how to find peace in this life, not get ready for the peace of the next one. It, it, it's all about looking, and he says, look, you should be pitied if you're just grabbing books off the shelf wanting to get a better life versus recognizing that you already have eternal life, a home in heaven, and that's what you're living for. And he goes on, and he says, look at this. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The firstfruits. See, we're in a season right now, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago. We're in a season right now where we just celebrated Passover. The Jewish people, for thousands of years, a day is like a thousand Right? A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. So, so Jesus is basically like starting day three of his return. <laughs> right? It's been 2,000 years. Jesus is in heaven. He's like, this is day three. <laughs> and we're like, you're taking so long. He's like, no, not really. I'm in charge of time. And if you look at what we see here and you look at Christ and you look at the first fruits, do you know what they were doing for thousands of years? They were counting the Omar. They counted the days when the disciples were filled with the power to walk with God and they, repentance happened and 3,000 people repented, came to know God, were baptized and changed. It's because they were counting first fruits to Shavat. That's what they were counting down to. 50 days, 49 days, and on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit came in. That was the day, are you ready for this? That was the day that God gave his people the Torah, the word in the wilderness. They celebrated Passover, they escaped from Egypt, and on the 50th day, on that day, God gave his word through Moses, the Ten Commandments, love God, love people, to his people. 
So when God decides he's going to energize his body with the power of the Holy Spirit, he does it on the day that commemorates his word. That his word trumps everything and it is the fruit that will give us, you ready for this? The ability to wait for trumpets, for Rosh Hashanah. Because the Bible says the, tr- the final judgment's gonna sound, the trumpet's gonna blow, there's gonna be atonement and judgment and then heaven's gonna be opened up, a new heaven and a new earth for us to tabernacle with him forever. God has been laying this plan out 6,000 years and we get distracted in the midst of it. Most Christians don't even know that that plan's in the Old Testament because they haven't even been taught to love the Old Testament. They have no idea that they're living in first fruits, that God has given you all the fruit you need through the power of the Holy Spirit and a relationship with Jesus Christ and the body of Christ around you to help you live this life. He's given it to us as a gift. No, I'm just going to wait. How I want to wait for the outcome I want. And we are living right now. If you are a believer, God says that you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He has given his word. He has given his spirit to you. And he's given it to other believers so that where two or more are gathered, he is there. And he's given it to the church. And the seven churches will be judged. He doesn't say the seven Christians hanging out together. He says they are churches with leaders. With That's what it is. This is a thousands and thousands of year plan that's being carried out and if that doesn't get you excited I don't know what will that's unbelievable that our God is that clear he's clear on what sort of people you should be and we just don't want to know it we don't want to know a calendar we don't want to know the finite we don't I just it's too hard to know all that stuff really too hard it's not it's only hard if you think it's hard if you think it's great and you love it it's not hard it's joy it's psalm 1 1 it's happiness that you 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 are blessed that i know this just that i know i am so blessed by all of this just that i know is enough the knowledge of god that others don't have see that's the beauty of scripture So what sort of person do you want to be? You're going to have to wait for it, by the way. I know what kind of person I want to be, and I know I'm not going to be that until Christ comes back. And he burns away all the mess and makes a new me. But in the meantime, I want to be the best me I can be for Christ. I want to give my life to him and surrender to him the best I know how to ask for help doing it to give my life, my money, my calendar, to give it all to him, to give my kids to him, my wife, everything. It's yours. It's yours. And I'm counting the days. I'm counting the days till the trumpet blows. And when it does, I know that when judgment and atonement come, you've atoned for me. Thank you. And that changes me. And I know there's a place for in heaven, there's a place to tabernacle with you because you promised it. You've been promising it to your people for thousands of years, and I can trust you in it. See, that's the beauty of what Peter's trying to get to as he's writing this church, as he's writing his people. He's saying, look, there are scoffers and mockers, and they're not going to get you into this. They have a plan for an outcome. They, they, they're going to tell you you can fix it. It's going to be quick, and we do it. It's not that way. It's clear what sort of people we should be, and it's hard work. We have to make every effort that we can to become who he wants us to be. And can I tell you, it's not hard as in, oh, I got to do this. It's hard as in, I got to give up what I want, my rights, the outcomes I think I should have, and I need to lay them at his feet and say, God, your will be done, which is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be separated. I don't want to have to do this, but you know what? This is what we agreed to. We're going to do it. See, that's the kind of people God wants us to be. And if we have knowledge of him and we understand how it all fits together, we'll do it. And if you're not doing it, it means something's broken in your knowledge of him. It means there are beliefs that you have that are broken that need to be changed. And you need to make different decisions because you know for certain what the outcome is going to be if you don't. See, that's our book. 
That's what Peter is saying in this passage. 